Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. Somewhat of an example of the stage, if you will, of our church. And it's been said that sometimes churches never make it past Acts 6. Not in terms of their teaching, but in terms of their growth, in terms of how they become established. Because Acts chapter 6 is a place where we start to see things shift from a few leaders in the church to the raising up of many individuals who play a role in serving within the church. It is my prayer that we would be a church, and we'll see that here through these first eight verses, a church that is unified, a church that is multiplied, and a church that is magnified. We see those three things happen within this early church at this additional junction point that's happening within the early Christian church. And I do believe that God has us on the same path. And so if you would, just agree with me in prayer before you go any further. Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, we thank you for this day that you've given us. And Lord, albeit a little bit different as I've spent some time just kind of covering what's happening here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, I pray, Lord, that it would be and would serve as an encouragement to us all of a way in which you're continuing to bless, Lord, how you're continuing to guide and to provide. We are so thankful, Lord, for your daily provision, for what you're doing here in us and through us. And Lord, as we look to the Word this morning, as we look to Acts chapter 6, we see examples of, of yes, challenges that the early church faced, but how they responded to that. And we'll see the wisdom that the disciples possessed and how they determined how to move forward, what solutions to implement as you continued to grow your church. Lord, I pray that we would take some very practical application from this today, that we would not see this today as an indictment on us, but rather a call to action, a reminder of what's required within the church to be effective in fulfilling the Great Commission. So Lord, open our hearts here this morning to what you have for us. Speak to us, Lord, I pray. Teach us and encourage us here this morning that as we go from this place, as we leave here, Lord, that we'd have a greater understanding of your word and and what was happening within the early church as we seek, Lord, to be an Acts church, as we seek to truly live out, Lord, biblically what it is that you've called us to here on this earth, we pray. Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you thanks this morning for your word as we go to study it now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 6. If you look at the last two verses of Acts chapter 5, just to kind of remind us of where we left off last week, we read in verse 41 of Acts 5, 41 and 42, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You see, the church was growing. The church was growing. They had experienced then persecution, and it strengthened their faith. Many great things were happening, depending on how you want to do the math. Some people say at this point the church was around 5,000. Some people say it was around uh, 8,000. First there was 2,000, and then there was 
They said there was 5,000. Some people say, well, that was because another 3,000 got saved. Some people say, no, that was, it was even more than that. Regardless of how you look at the previous verses, what we know is that there were thousands of people that were now coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And this was all largely happening within the same area. We are just today in Acts chapter 6 going to start to get connected through someone by the name of Stephen who will serve as that bridge to Saul or the Apostle Paul. We're just now starting to get to the place where we're going to see the gospel go forth beyond the boundaries of Israel and Jerusalem. And so there was a lot that was happening. Imagine, if you will, learning of thousands of people coming to faith in Christ radically, by the way, in in our own city. You would hear about that. You would know about that. We learned and we've read through chapters 4 and 5 of just how radical the disciples were, how bold they were, and how much of a disruption it was having within the city. And so you know, last week we talked about the fact that here they were, they were pulled together again, and they were told, hey, we told you that you could not speak or teach in his name or in that name. They didn't even want to say the name of Jesus. And Gamaliel comes and he says, listen, guys, he's part of the Sanhedrin, and he says, let, let's let this thing go a little bit. We've seen movements happen before. We've seen uprisings before. We've, we've heard some of this stuff before, and, and when we left it alone, it just sort of died out. But if this work is truly of God, then we don't want to be fighting against something that's of God. And the rest of the leaders, specifically the Sadducees, they listened to that. They said, okay, that's some good counsel. We'll, we'll let these guys go. But it wasn't, they had to make sure, you know, for good measure that they beat them before they sent them out. We're going to bring them in. And, and they flogged them and they told them no more speaking in his name. And as the disciples leave, it didn't have the desired effect. In fact, they felt, they said they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer in his name. And so often that's what happens, that faith is strengthened, just like those who left the outreach yesterday. Though I don't know that we really experienced a whole lot of persecution yesterday, we definitely left with a sense of, wow, look at what God can do. Look at the opportunities he can give you when you just faithfully follow and open your mouth and begin to speak. There's no doubt about it. People were anxious as we went out there yesterday, but I think we all left with a sense of, God showed up. And so just like as these disciples, you leave with a sense of we're being used by God and you're excited about that. It increases faith. It reinforces the the commitment to teaching the word. And their numbers were multiplying. And as the church was growing, so came the growing pains. And so here at the church as well, we're experiencing growing pains. Listen, we're not doing everything right. We're not doing everything right. We're striving to do everything right. We're trying to give everything over to the Lord to seek Him, to to seek wisdom. We're working at it, but there's bumps along the way. And as we transition into chapters 6 and 7, we will learn, as I've already mentioned, of the servant Stephen, the first martyr in the Christian church. And these two chapters that we'll go through over the next couple of weeks will really capture well the ministry of Stephen and show us why he was such a faithful man of God. We'll learn much from his example and his witness. The first eight verses of chapter 6, however, give us insight into one of the early problems that they encountered within the church and its solution. We'll focus our attention there today and we'll explore more of the life of Stephen next week, but our emphasis today, as is often the case, is so fitting for where we're at as a church in some regards in terms of the need that we continue to have for more faithful servants. And the problem that we'll see within this particular chapter is a problem that could have easily divided the church. 
It could have easily caused a split early on. And we see that the disciples exercise great wisdom in how they deal with this. And, you know, we're at a turning point in, in our own church here at Calvary Chapel. As I've shared with you some of what we're doing, many things are happening. The Lord is blessing, but with that comes growing pains, trying to figure out how exactly we go through some of these transitions. What's the right way of approaching things? What are the right ministries to implement? Who do we get involved? When do we do it? How do we do it? Inevitably, we're going to let someone down. Inevitably, we're going to do something, and you'll be thinking in your mind, oh, I would have done it differently. That's going to happen. That's just the reality of it. But as we'll see within the church here, they came up with solutions that they were unified behind, and it required a multitude of people being involved. And we read in chapter 6, verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And so in those days the church was growing, good things were happening, and there arose a complaint in the church. And we say, wait, the, the church was growing, good things were happening, people were excited. Why was there a complaint, or as it's translated in some of your Bibles, a murmur? There was a murmuring that was happening. Well, it's because the church was growing, because there was more people. You put more of us together, and there's going to be problems. Those of you searching for the perfect church, when you find it, don't go in, because you'll just ruin it. Sorry to tell you, the same goes for me. You find that perfect church, just stay away, because when we get together, we mess things up. But that's kind of what families do, right? We figure out how to get along. We figure out how to work together. We work through issues. We work through problems. And that's what was happening as this early church was formed. Here, thousands of believers are coming together, and inevitably there was opinions. There was perspectives. There was people who, and maybe very rightly, sort of let down, but, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't because somebody wanted to hurt them. It was because, in the case, as we'll see, they were stretched. They were trying to figure things out. Because they were trying to do so many different things, they were lax in a couple of areas, and it impacted people. And so they had to figure out what were they going to do with this. There was more people, and so there was more work to do. And while God blesses with growth and a lot of different things, problems still pop up. And you know, the majority of the time, if we really step back and reflect on it, we can find that our flesh is getting involved, that it influences things, and that the enemy wants to take that then and use it. Use it to sow discord. Use it to drive division. And so here we have now what amounts to really the second big issue in the early church, the previous one being Ananias and Sapphira, one that echoed through the land, but it was an issue with sin as it related to giving to the church, to giving from the heart. And now we have an issue over receiving from the church regarding the distribution of resources, in particular to the widows. And so there arose a complaint, or as I mentioned, some translations read a murmuring. Now, I'll tell you that pastors never like it when you begin to hear a murmur. Okay? A murmur. Things are going on, right? And you're catching it, and you're sort of hearing rumblings of it, and you're starting to wonder, uh-oh, what does this mean? So there was a murmuring happening within the church. It's this thing where there's talk out there of some sort of issue. And I'll tell you, when I hear this, when I hear, hey, some people are saying, or I hear... Uh, you know, somebody who's saying, well, I'm speaking on behalf of this group of people or whatever, I'll tell you that my first reaction is always go, who, where, when, how? 
let's not spend time there talking about the supposed group of people who, what's the issue, what do we need to do? But a lot of times that's not how we want to communicate, right? If we're honest, we like some of that anonymity. And as a pastor, you just want to know, hey, somebody said this. Well, who was it? Who was it that said it? Let's figure it out. Let's address this thing directly. Lots of times too, and I'm not thinking of any of you in this room, okay? I promise you that. I'll look you in the eye right now. But lots of times what happens then too is that so-and-so, well, they're the same one that had the opinion last time and the opinion before and the opinion before, and it's only one. It's not a multitude. And so we need to know that. We need to go to that person and say, okay, what's the issue here? And so all of these different things are sort of starting to happen within the church, and the disciples are becoming aware of what happens with growth. And because we know that it's usually unproductive chatter, this murmuring within the church, you know, they need to figure out how exactly they go about dealing with it. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have opinions in the church, right? If some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I'd love it if the church would do this, or I'd love it if we'd consider that. Those are oftentimes wonderful things, wonderful ideas. But those need to be ideas that you take to the Lord and really pray over and say, hey, is this something? You know, and then as you do that, then you bring it to leadership. You bring it directly and you say, hey, here's something I've been observing or here's something I've been praying about. And I really think if we did this or we did that, it might make it better. And when that happens, usually what the case is, is whoever you bring that to and you bring it directly, they go, wow, you know, we've been praying about that same thing. Or that's a great solution to a problem that we just haven't figured out yet. So it's not that we want to silence everyone. Just the opposite. In fact, as we see them select leaders within the church, there was great ownership on the part of the body, the congregation, to be a part of that, to say, hey, who should we raise up into these roles? So it's not about silencing, but it's about being productive in the communication. And so, you know, here disruption was starting to pop up, and the disciples knew that they needed to do something about it. Now, why this situation specifically? Well, we know you know, there was a, a form of communal living that was still happening within the early church. We don't hear much about them selling all of their possessions and laying at the feet of the apostles any longer, but there was still a community of believers that were depending on one another, and in particular the widows. And, you know, we read in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, right, to take care of orphans and widows in their trouble. The disciples, the church, they were seeking to be biblical in nature. They were seeking to take care of one another. And so as we read that the widows were depending on a distribution, that was why, because there was an awareness of how the church needed to take care of those women who had been widowed. And so this effort, it was pure. It was good. It was the right thing where leaders were striving to take care of the people, yet there still arose some complaints. And so even with the best of intentions, even with something that was very good, it can still cause issues. And some of these widows, we have the Hebrew and then the Hellenists, there was a perception that one was getting favored over the other. Okay, so specifically these, these widows, some of which I said were the Hellenists or the Grecians, as some of your translations may read, they were the Jews who had come from different areas or who had adopted much of the Greek culture. Most of them spoke a different language. Culturally, there were some distinctives that were different. They were still believers, they were still converts at this point, but they had come from a different background. And then you have the Hebrews, and they were the more traditionalists. They were the ones that had really held to some of the strict teachings of the law for some time. Again, they came from a different culture and a different background. And so it begins to describe even more what we see within the church, especially today, is that there are people coming together, we are striving to be a faithful community of believers, yet we're different. We have different experiences, different backgrounds, different perceptions of things, come from different areas that that in and of itself has 
created differences in us and how we see things and view things. And so it's another reminder that it takes work, it takes effort that as a church is growing to come together and to be in unity, to be of one accord. And so these women would go for daily distribution of resources, in many cases just food, simply food. And they were perceiving, the Hellenists specifically were perceiving and seeing that in some cases maybe the Hebrew widows were getting more. They were getting special treatment, or at least they thought. They sensed an element of favoritism at play. And this was beginning to concern them. And was that the reality? Was that actually happening? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it was inadvertent. Maybe it was intentional. Who knows what was happening amongst thousands of people. But the bigger thing here is that this wasn't about what was being doled out to the widows. This wasn't about the resources that were being given. This was more about the unity amongst the believers and what the disciples needed to do to protect that. Because things would be hindered if it was left unchecked. You know, it could have come from any number of things, right? But this was the source. It was the distribution, the daily distribution that served as the catalyst to say, hey, we're experiencing growth and we've got to start to do something about that. And one group was frustrated, another group over what they perceived to be happening. And this still happens today as we are reminded again that we come together as a group of very different people, but around one common objective. And it happens today. The singles, they get frustrated at the young families. The adults get frustrated with the teenagers. The older folks get frustrated with the younger folks, right? Some of you are smiling, you know, you know. It's okay. It's okay for us to recognize and admit that, yes, this happens. Why? Because we see things a little differently. Because we expect different things. Because we act a little bit differently. And nobody in that may be meaning any disrespect, but they're just not understanding one another. We can think that there's you know, popular groups, favorite, just as these were saying, there was favoritism happening. You know, we can think that one ministry is receiving favoritism over another ministry, that we should be putting resources here versus there. And all of these frustrations, these complaints, the murmuring, they begin to make their way through the church. And in the case of the modern church, they eventually make their way here. They make their way to the pastor. Rightfully so. That's where it should make its way to. But that's where then you need to see or you need to learn, okay, what do you do from there? What do we see them do in Acts chapter 6, and what do we need to do? Two things need to happen here. One, spiritually, there may be something that needs to be addressed. Whether the attitude of the people, you know, hey, let's handle this differently, or with the leadership. Maybe because the, the leaders were stretched in some way that they weren't giving proper attention. And that's what we'll see here. The disciples take accountability, and they recognize we need to give better attention to certain things. Right? So it's not that it's necessarily a problem with the people. It can absolutely be a problem with the leadership. But, you know, first of all, we need to evaluate, is there a spiritual issue somewhere that needs to be addressed? Secondly, then, is there an actual physical or administrative issue that needs to be addressed? Now, let's make sure that the daily distribution is fair, accurate, consistent, a different process, a different order to things. The problem is, Peter, John, pastors of churches... They didn't have the time or the ability to do all of these things. And so you see, while we want to do our best to avoid issues in the church, when they pop up, we can either ignore them or we can use them as opportunities to examine the ministry and determine where does the Lord want us to go from here. And that's what we see the disciples do to determine a proper course forward. They were accountable 
and they knew they needed to determine a solution. So what did they do about it? Well, we have here, you don't see it when you read it right away, but we have here this word distribution, or some of your Bibles may say ministration, root for our word administration, is translated diakonia. Does that sound kind of like? Sound maybe like deacon, if I share that a little bit differently? It's the word we get deacon from. And we'll see it two more times. We'll see it two more times within this passage of Scripture. And while we don't then specifically read, hey, these deacons were established, this is the first example we have in the early church where deacons were raised up. Deacon literally meaning servant, or one who serves, or to serve, depending on the tense. Those who are raised up to serve. And so we will have here our first set of deacons, literally servants. And so in verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the twelve, they summon the whole church, it's the twelve apostles, and they bring together all of the church, and they say, we are going to ensure that this issue that's popped up is corrected. But it doesn't make sense for us to do this specific work. And so these men, they were called by God to teach. They were called by God to teach the Word in the same way that I've been called into the ministry as the pastor of the church, the one who will be in the pulpit on a regular basis teaching the Word, in the same way each and every one of us are called to different roles and responsibilities in the church. And so here the apostles were recognizing there's something that needs done, but this particular thing should not be our responsibility. Doesn't mean they were sloughing it off. Doesn't mean, oh, I never have to be a part of that. I shouldn't have to do that. But recognizing where do we need people to serve. And similarly for me, it doesn't mean that I'm above any particular work within the church, but a healthy church, a well-functioning church is going to recognize that we have a multitude of different areas where we need servants, and we need people who are specifically called to that area, who feel a sense of, I can do that, and I can do that well. You know, for any of us, there's times when we love to be involved in different things. I can absolutely be over-involved in a number of different areas, doing things that I never should be doing because I think this is fun and I want to be a part of this, or I have an opinion. Imagine that. As a pastor, I've got an opinion, and I like things a particular way, and I can get over-involved in that, right? And you need to sometimes go, whoa, i got to back out of this. This doesn't... Nope. Go ahead. Do whatever you want to do there. We can get sucked into things. And as the church was growing, they needed to be sensitive to that. I have to consider what the Lord has called me to, and allow to others to serve. That's a big piece of it, right? If your leaders get too involved, too overbearing, then it doesn't allow for any opportunity for the body to step up and be involved and exercise the gifts that God has given you. And serve here, as we read, serve tables. There's another example then of this word. Now here it's pronounced diakoneo. So we see this deacon term once again. We've got another reference here. And so, you see, there are a multitude of different needs that exist within the church, both then and now. And when a church is first starting out, you know, there's fewer people to meet and to focus on those particular needs. And pastors or the disciples at the time will do a lot more. But as the church grows, there must be a proper distribution of workload for it all to function. There are a few things more discouraging than a murmuring in the church about various needs or things that people see, but then those same people don't want to be involved, and they don't want to do it, and they don't want to be a part of that solution. And we have desires, already mentioned, to have a healthy children's ministry. It's a critical component to our church. We're embarking on this church renovation. We're doing a lot of things. 
We have needs in youth ministry. We have need for more servants. Trust me, there are a lot of people who are serving very faithfully, and they would welcome somebody to say, hey, do you need a hand with that? Right Now, I want to stress again, I did not wake up this morning and pray and say, okay, this church needs an indictment about service. I am encouraged by this church, incredibly encouraged by the multitude of servants that I see before me. But it must be a reminder to us of what the church requires, what needs to be a part of it for it to be healthy, for it to grow. We desire to do more in the community. We need more servants for that. We desire to grow various ministries in the church. We need more servants for that. And so, you know, for people who want to say a church doesn't, for example, meet my needs. If somebody wants to say, oh, you know, we, the church needs this ministry, they need that ministry, and that would better, you know, uh, speak to me or minister to me. Well, how are you bringing that forward, right? How are you saying, hey, here's something the Lord has laid on my heart that I feel like we could benefit from? Some of you have done that. Some of you have absolutely done it, and it's fantastic. And I think some of those things are yet to unfold here through the course of the summer. Keep doing that. Keep seeking the Lord as to what He has put on your heart for ministry here. And let's figure out how we can do that together. You know, as you bring things forward as well, here's the other thing. And again, I, you know, I want to encourage communication around these things. Because, you know, if anybody has had something on their heart for a while, and you've brought that forward, and you've done it exactly the way that you should do that, and then it's being disregarded, well, that's another thing, right? Then that's on us as leadership. And so there has to be good communication both ways around where does the Lord have us? What is He doing here in, in the church? Where are we investing resources? And making sure that we're communicating well with you regarding something that you're passionate about that's on your heart and when that can be accomplished. It takes work. And verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so now here we see that there is need for people. This is the solution then. And these are the things that I've already been addressing is they say, listen, these things need to happen in the church. But we shouldn't be about the business of waiting tables. We need to make sure that we raise up other leaders. And so now, as we've heard this term deacon being used, they say specifically, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Seven men of good reputation. The word here is martyrio, from which we get martyr. And it means here that you should be a witness, that you have a good reputation, that you have a good witness, that you as it's defined, affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows it because he is taught by divine revelation or inspiration to give and not to keep back, to have a good testimony, to utter honorable testimony, to give a good report. Essentially, what do people say about this individual? So now we start to have some criteria for who we should see raised up within the church to be a deacon and to serve in this capacity. And it's somebody who has a great reputation. Secondly, that they are full of the Holy Spirit. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in these individuals' lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things evident? Is this fruit manifest in the individual's lives? doesn't mean they're perfect, but you see these things happening. You see them bearing this fruit. Are they led of the Spirit? Can they discern things? Do they demonstrate wisdom? Do they seek the Lord? And when it says here that they're full of the Spirit, full is best translated here as they are controlled by. That the Spirit has control of them, that they are led of the Spirit. And notice here that the apostles, they say to them, choose, help us. And so as we consider leaders within this church, do you know that 
yes, do, do I pray over these things? Does the Holy Spirit lead? Does the Holy Spirit give me wisdom and discernment? Absolutely. But do you know that our best source for continuing to identify, say, for example, who might be the best fit for children's ministry long-term? is you guys. You guys saying, hey, Pastor Brennan, I've talked to this person, or I've seen this person, or man, you may not have noticed, but when this person works with children, they're incredible, and the kids love them, and they're structured, and they're organized, or whatever the case may be. It's the body identifying different people to say, we need to see them in service. They would be great in this area. I would encourage you to do that. And thirdly, what we see here then is wisdom. Do they have a track record of making good decisions? Now, we're talking specifically here about deacons now, that these who they were raising up. And we've got further qualifications for deacons that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But this also applies in general to servants, just servants within the church. Specific to the deacons, what we get in 1 Timothy 3, amongst many different things, including the fruit of the Spirit, is that we should first test them before laying hands on them. And that's what we're doing right now. We have more deacons serving in this church right now that are stepping in roles that are taking on different things. And we've not brought them before you and laid hands on them and said, here's all of your new deacons. We've said, you're going through a training period. We're going to test you first to see if you're faithful, to see if you're willing to commit to these things, to see if you faithfully serve in that capacity. And when they do, then we'll bring them before you and lay hands on them and say, all right, here's a new group of deacons a new group of deacons to work to establish structure within the church and ensure that the needs of the body, the needs of each and every one of you, and the needs at this particular time are met. We're working towards this. As I mentioned before, some churches never make it past Acts chapter 6. They falter out. They remain, and this isn't about numbers and size, but they remain at a particular state where they don't really grow, and again, not necessarily even in number, but grow in terms of their effectiveness of various ministries, their ability to meet the needs of those who come. And trust me, I'm not expressing this right now, but they stay at a place where one or two leaders or the pastor alone feels the need to just do all of the different things, and I don't care who you are, you're just never going to be able to do that very well. You're never going to be as effective as you could be. I want for us to really blow past this point as a church to where the needs that are evident within the body are faithfully met because of a multitude of faithful servants being attentive to those needs and each of us doing what it is that we feel the Lord has called us to do so that issues and needs within the church can be properly addressed. But we need everyone's commitment to making that happen. You see, that's why I felt as if you know, coming into this week, there was a lot of different things happening, a lot of a lot of really cool different ministry things happening this week, and then we have everything going on with the building, and then all of us, you know, and, and I'm and I'm studying and preparing for Acts chapter six, and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you know, in many respects, we're here as a church right now, and we've got the ability to really become committed to some of these things and to see it move forward and progress. But along that way, as I get excited, as I get overwhelmingly excited about so many different things going on in the body, what I need to be careful about is that in a pursuit of all these different things, I don't leave this behind. You see, we can so easily get distracted and caught up in all the cool things that are happening. I'm excited for VBS coming up. Some of you may be thinking, you're crazy. You know, people have t-shirts that say, I survived VBS, you know, and I'm thinking... I'm thinking, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be tiring, but man, where else do you just get to act stupid, you know? And we will. I mean, we're just going to have fun. Last year, I just smashed this pie right into my wife's face, you know? It was, 
It was epic. It was really epic. And I hear that they're like, no, that's not going to happen again this year. I hear I'm going down big time this year, right? So don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to see what happens there? Don't you want to see how the girls in VBS get vengeance on the pastor for the whipped cream pie last year? That's fun stuff. I look forward to that. But you know, it's those types of things that we can get excited about in pursuing partnership with Hannah's house downtown. We see such great things happening there. Three ladies got saved Thursday night. Do you know that? That our women's ministry, absolutely, that deserves a round of applause. Our women's ministry faithfully serving. Now they brought them the word, right? So maybe it's not the best example, but we can start to get distracted with all those other things. And if I were getting involved in all of that, I could leave behind the most important piece. And it's what's happening right now as we go to the word. We've got to be careful that that doesn't happen. And so we see in verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. As faithful servants step up, as deacons step into role, as various individuals go, I can serve here, then everyone can begin to focus on the area that they're called to. We have got to make sure that we're giving attention to those areas that the Word has called us to. And for me specifically here, as we consider the ministry of the Word, this is the last place where we see this word diakonia. And so it's less in reference to deacons here, but rather it's a reminder that as a pastor, you're called to serve the Word. You're called to be a servant to the Word of God. That I'm called to be a servant to you in bringing the Word of God. And you know, there's been times where many of you have come and shared with me about a particular message and said it impacted you or thought it was a great message or whatever, and you'll, you'll likely continue to hear from me. Well, praise God for that. And I think to myself, though, sometimes imagine if I put in double the amount of study time. If that was a powerful message, imagine if I got in the Word even more and even more and even more. Now, I don't have unrealistic expectations. I don't know that I'm going to go up to the mountains and you know, spend 50 hours a week just studying the Word. That'd be fantastic. You know? But the reality, if you look at your routine and you look at your study time, you think, boy, Lord, what if I could have given that twice the amount of time? What could you have shown me? And so I look at this and I think this is fantastic, right? And so no matter the areas of focus for growth, the events, the outreaches, the programs, all of the good things we do, we cannot sacrifice the teaching of the Word of God. I was talking with two guys yesterday at the outreach. They were part of a house church in West Columbia. Two guys, they were just downtown. They were out there, nervous as can be, just trying to you know, go out and share their own faith. And so when they saw us, this group out there with our t-shirts on, they were like, oh, praise God, this is awesome. We're not alone. And we got to talking with them about things. And then all of a sudden, they really started to question me. And I could tell, I mean, I could just tell from this one individual in particular, he was going to see, like, is this guy legit or not? I'm going to evaluate this. And he asked me a specific question about what is the church lacking today? If you had to choose one thing, what is the church lacking today? And I thought for a minute, and then I began to think about our study in Revelation, and specifically the last three churches, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And those are churches that I very much believe align with the time in which we are living. And there's distinctives between those three churches, two of which, one being referred to as dead and the other lukewarm, and the other one being faithful. And I said, as you think about the church today, if it's the true church, the remnant that will always remain in any given time or culture, that church is going to be faithful. Faithful in teaching the Word of God. Faithful in proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Faithful in following the Word of God. But then we have another church, so-called church today, that's dead. It's lukewarm. Why? Because they are watering down the Word of God. There is an element of church about them. It seems as if they have everything together. They've got the programs in place. They've got the resources. They've got all these things that would cause people to go, wow, they know how to do church. But the Word of God is absent, and for that reason, they're dead. 
And they don't even know it. The Holy Spirit is no longer present. Now I got the sense from his response that I passed the test. And so we were able to continue to pray for one another and encourage one another. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, precept upon precept, teaching the whole counsel of God. Do you know that 26, 27% of the Word of God is prophecy? Do you know how many churches today don't even want to touch prophecy with a 10-foot pole? They don't want to go there. And so you're taking out more than a quarter of the Word of God and never teaching it. But it takes a lot to know how to teach that. It takes a lot of time to invest in that. And so if we want that, then there needs to be equal distribution of the Word. It cannot be accomplished unless we have faithful servants in all areas of the church. What I want to emphasize, guys, is I'm not sitting here this morning saying, please do more so that I could focus on this a little bit. That is not my ask here. Yes, that is in essence, what begins to happen. But I'm not coming to you this morning saying, boy, I just wish you guys would serve in this church because it's getting really tiring. No, I'm not saying that at all. What we see happen, this is why I want you to hear this message today, is because as we read in verses 5 through 8, in the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. That's what I want to see. This isn't a call to action. This isn't a plea of, please do this so that I can do this. No, this is saying, if we do this, If we recognize that this is necessary for a healthy church, then we will experience what God intended for this church. That as we start to fall into our various roles and faithfully serve in the areas He's called us to, then we will experience incredible things as a church. That They said that it pleased the whole multitude. That's the first thing. So as I said in the beginning, that I want to be a unified church, that I want to be a multiplied church and a magnified church, we see here in verse 5, that it pleased all of them. They were unified. They were unified and saying, yes, amen. That's what we need to be doing. And so these seven men, they were chosen. They were chosen to do these things. And then the word of God spread. People called by God, serving faithfully, allowed the word of God to be taught, and it grew. It multiplied. If we want our church to grow in that way, to be multiplied, and however the Lord sees that multiplication applied here, right? Whatever He wants to do, to be able to be a part of that, to see that, to see the Word of God go forth, then we need to serve. We need to serve. You know, we're continuing to teach the Word. We have much still to do. We have many things to figure out, a great deal to learn. So many more things that we can tap into. When I think of myself, I think of Solomon. When, when, when Solomon first came to the throne, well, of course, we know that he prayed for wisdom. Right? That's a, a famous prayer, if you will. But the reason he prayed for that is he said, God, I don't know how to go out or come in. And that's my prayer on a regular basis. I don't even know how to walk out of this place or walk into this place. When I think of really how disqualified I am, what in the world am I doing, Lord? This is a wet behind the ears, right? And so we seek wisdom. But as we work together to accomplish these things, we can see God do an amazing work. And we see then here, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And so through Stephen, the church and the Lord Jesus Christ was magnified. This man who was raised up to be a servant and to wait on tables, 
He was raised up. He was identified, yes, because he was a faithful man, because he exhibited all the things that they said, but he was raised up for a specific purpose, and that was the distribution to the widows. So what I want everybody to understand right now is if at any point you've ever heard or you've heard me say or you've had anyone else suggest that this right here is the most important role within the church, look at Stephen. Look at what Stephen accomplishes. Not only does he have an incredible reputation, a great testimony, but it says that he did great wonders and signs among the people. It's the first time that we see a description of an individual other than Jesus or one of the disciples that's talked about in that way. He was raised up to wait on tables. This is incredible. And it just reinforces the fact that it doesn't matter what role you're called to. That when you are full, when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit and serving where God desires you to be, God will use you in a mighty way. I have no doubt, whatever the task in this church, that if it's filled by somebody who feels called, who knows that I'm going to give this my whole heart, I'm going to faithfully commit to this, that because of what you are doing, the Word of God will go forth. That's what I want you to understand. It's not about anything that you have to do for me. I'm not asking you to do anything for me. I'm asking for you to do what you know you are called by God to do. And when you do that and you do it well and you do it faithfully, the Word of God will go forth. Great and powerful and mighty things will happen. This church will be unified, multiplied, and magnified. Do you believe that? And then we can continue to see and to lay hold of and know that what we have made it a mission to do, what we know we are called to do, that wasn't something we made up. It's just about recognizing what God has asked us to do, that it will be happening, that we will actively be making disciples of Christ, taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what Stephen helped to accomplish. What we're going to see over the next couple of weeks as we discuss Stephen is we're going to see the guy who was raised up to serve tables to wait on what some would consider the menial tasks within the church, but it says that he did great, mighty, and powerful things such that he was able to provide an incredible witness that led to his persecution and eventual death. And what happened when that happened? But that the people who stoned him laid their coats at the foot of one called Saul. Did you know that Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, that that he took so much from his encounter with Stephen? that that's likely where we understand what happened related to Stephen, that that when he was killed, that's likely why we know what went down is because Paul was there. And then what does Paul do but become the one who takes, who we, and forgive me if I'm missing anyone here who's a Messianic Jew, we can stand here today and say, I benefited from this ministry. From the one who said, yeah, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll wait on tables. So I want you to understand not just this historical count in the church, but rather the importance of the power of serving within the church. Without servants in the church, the ministry is often rendered ineffective. Stretched too thin, we don't meet the needs of the body. And for the word of God to go forth, for the hearts of the people to be properly ministered to and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ requires an abundance of faithful volunteers. For us to be in Acts chapter 7, 8, 9, 28, 29 church, for us to be that church going on today, we we got to get beyond that place. Faithful, Spirit-filled servants, through them the Word of God goes forth. And when we fulfill the call, the church, like in Acts, will be unified, multiplied, and magnified. And so that would be my encouragement to you today, is let's work together in that, that we might magnify the Lord Jesus Christ through the areas that He's called us to. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we, as we close, I pray that once more, just as, as it seems, Lord, the heart that we had this morning, that we'd continue to give you praise and knowledge, Lord, of what you've done for us. We have much to give you thanks for. And I pray that there would be such joy within our heart and that truly, Lord, that no one here today would have received any of this as an indictment for something we've not done, but rather an encouragement to continue to move forward to pursue what it is that we've seen before us in the early church, to recognize the importance and the need of faithful servants within the church, all serving in the areas that you called us to, Lord, doing so faithfully that the word of God might go forth, recognizing that there's not one single role that's more important than the other. So many roles, Lord, that are unseen. So many here today that I know serve so faithfully in this church, and no one knows it. No one knows it but you. And I thank you for them, Lord. And I pray strengthen their faith, encourage them, continue to, to equip them for the work that you've called them to. Help us to all, Lord, just be so diligent, no matter what it is or where it is or how you desire to use us, knowing that great and powerful things can happen when we serve. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that may not be there quite yet, that's struggling with what the call is, that's struggling with where you might have them to serve, Lord, that you'd speak to them that you'd encourage them, that if they're dealing with confidence issues, that they feel like maybe they can't serve, or maybe there's something about their past that just has disqualified them from the ministry, Lord, don't let the enemy have a foothold in that way. Release them from that, Lord, I pray, that they could find themselves in faithful service to you. Father, continue to bless each of these here, Lord, this church, the work that you are doing here. Move in our midst, Lord, we pray. And as we sing once again, receive our praise, Lord pray that it would glorify you, that it would bless you, that you would hear our hearts here this morning, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.